The Dalai Lama tells this story of his friend Lupan La, a Tibetan monk who was sent to a gulag when the Chinese invaded Tibet. He was sent to the gulag with 130 people, where he spent 18 years in a forced labor camp, being tortured. When he left, only 20 Tibetans had survived. In the course of his time in prison, he told the Dalai Lama he had faced real dangers. The Dalai Lama thought he was talking about the torture and starvation and freezing conditions without proper attire. Instead, Lupin La told him he was in danger of losing his compassion for his Chinese guards. His greatest danger in that time in prison under horrific conditions was losing his compassion, his heart, his humanity. This from a man who had been tortured cruelly, had no shoes even in the dead of winter, who was once so hungry he tried to eat a fellow prisoner who had frozen to death, but was unsuccessful because his skin had frozen too solid for him to bite. Lupin Law's greatest fear was in losing his compassion. I don't know that I have that kind of compassion, that I could look at another person who is starving me or torturing me or treating me as if I were less than human and feel compassion for them. It stretches my imagination. I want to say that surely I would. I'm a Christian and a priest, and as such, I would be able to penetrate through the darkness of another soul to see the light that God created them with. But I am not that holy, pious, or good, unfortunately, and I am too comfortable in life. The hurts and the harms that I forgive have never equated to the extreme losses of those like Lupin La, whose suffering I could never even imagine. To forgive that kind of harm, to know that level of compassion, seems saintly at the least, and I am no saint. In this fourth week of Lent and exploring the book of forgiveness by Desmond and Mafo Tutu, we look at chapter six, Granting Forgiveness. Granting forgiveness is the third step along the fourfold path of healing. In the past two weeks, we talked about telling the story as the first step and naming the hurt as the second step. Those two steps are necessary so that we don't get stuck in our pain, a prisoner to it unable to break free. Granting forgiveness is how we discover we have broken free and move from being a victim to one who has power and strength. The chapter begins with a discussion of the big stories of forgiveness and the need to exercise our forgiveness muscle. The tutus make the case that many people who forgive big things are people just like you and me and that they participate in small acts of forgiveness every day. They recognize that other members of their family will do things to cause harm or pain, and instead of allowing the, these things to become big things, they practice forgiving them repeatedly. And the reason they can forgive and move forward in their relationship is because they know that they are more than what they have done. They are more than the wrong, or the pain that that other person has caused in the moment. And so they pray for them. They want good things for them. 
they see the good in them. They know that they have struggles and doubts and bad days just like them. They recognize their shared humanity. Shared or common humanity is that thing that we all have. It recognizes how we are the same, not how we are different. To embrace common humanity is to begin to drill down below the surface of beliefs or political ideals, football teams, cultural values, or even actions. It is to get to that place in which we discover that our deepest, most basic desires are really the same. It is when we can say, just like me, you desire this. Or in the inversion, you desire this just like me. I do a lot of work with cultivating compassion and compassion is grounded in being able to see the world from this place of shared or common humanity. In meditation, I often employ guided imagery that literally states, just like me, other people do not want to suffer. Just like me, others do not want to know fear or anger. Just like me, other people want to know joy. Just like me, other people want to know peace. These four tenets seem to be at the core of all people's desire in their experiences and relationships. When I can see another person and connect with this fundamental truth, that they are like me at the very core because they desire not to suffer or be afraid or want joy and peace, then I can open myself up to them in a place of compassion and concern. Maybe that is what Lupin La was able to do in a Chinese gulag. But I will admit, it's sometimes hard to do in the middle of my comfortable existence in Montgomery, Alabama. Even more than the fundamental drive we all share, it is the recognition that none of us is perfect that helps me to embrace our commonality. As humans, none of us is perfect. None of us is always good. We have bad days and we have better days. We can be indifferent, cruel, unconcerned, uncaring, as well as loving, passionate, kind, and thoughtful. There are days when we are driven by our own selfish desires and motivations, and other days when we are the most giving people in the world. It's like Sirius Black says to Harry Potter in the Order of the Phoenix, the world is not divided into good people and death eaters. We are not either a sinner or a saint. Some of us, most of us, are both. If we can recognize that in those around us, maybe we can appreciate that we share more in common with others than we thought. It is not only in the noticing that all people are flawed just as we are, it is also in the broader context of understanding why someone has acted to hurt us that can help us to recognize our common humanity. Context is not justification but it can help us to empathize with the one who has harmed us, or at the very least recognize that others have been harmed as well, 
and maybe empathize with them. In discovering empathy for one who has harmed us, we can begin to accept the vulnerability and frailty of the perpetrator of our harm. In naming our hurt, we embraced our own vulnerability. By discovering our common humanity, we can embrace the vulnerability of others. In choosing to forgive, we have chosen to accept what has occurred. It does not mean that we excuse the bad behavior or actions of another, nor does it mean that just because I recognize another's vulnerability that there are not consequences for their actions. Actions have consequences. Those who commit acts of atrocity must be held accountable for them. When the family members of the victims of the Emanuel AME Church in Charleston forgave Dylan Roof, none of them advocated for him not to be accountable for his crime. Instead, through their forgiveness, they were able to create the conditions for something positive to happen. They did not choose for this horrible thing to happen to them, but they could choose how to deal with it. They could choose how the story ended at least for them. There's a story about a bear who lived in the woods. She was a lonely bear who was always grumpy and walked with a limp. It wasn't that the other bears didn't want to be her friend or that she didn't want to be their friends. She wanted to run and play and tumble with them, but she always seemed to be weighed down by some unseen care, some unseen hurt. One day, as she was limping through the forest, she came across another bear, a little bear, who had gotten a splinter stuck in his paw. He was crying because it hurt, and he couldn't get the splinter out, nor could he find anyone to help him. The older bear assessed the situation and took the young bear's paw gently in hers and carefully removed the splinter. The younger bear was immediate relief, immediately relieved. He threw his arms around the older bear in a grateful embrace and then ran off to find his friends. The older bear sat for a while after having removed the splinter from the young bear. She looked at her paw, the one that caused her to limp, and she saw a rough, thick patch of skin over it. And she began to remember a time many years ago when she too had been a young bear and gotten a splinter in her own paw. She had been unable to get the splinter out and couldn't find anyone to help her. As the days and then months passed, she had learned how to walk with the splinter still in her paw, favoring her paw and developing a limp. The splinter had gone deeper and deeper into her paw while the skin covered over it, causing it to become thicker and thicker. And though the splinter had continued to hurt, the pain dulled over the years and became so much a part of her that she absorbed the pain into her very being and forgot the splinter was even there. Now that she remembered, she remembered what she might be able to do about it after such a very long time. She decided to go and ask an older and wiser bear who was known for splinter removal 
what might be done about the splinter that had burdened her for so long. She found the older bear and explained what had happened with the little bear and the memories it had stirred up for her. The wise bear asked her if she was sure she wanted to remove the splinter as it would be quite painful in its extraction and take a great deal of time to heal. The bear thought for a bit and realized that all of her life she had wanted to run and tumble with the other bears and that this splinter had kept her from getting to be fully alive and fully in relationship with other bears. She realized she was willing to do what it took in order to be healed. The wise bear agreed to remove the splinter, but reminded her that the splinter would always be a part of who she was. And now with its removal, it would help her to tell a new story, a story of healing and wholeness instead of the story of brokenness and pain that she had carried for so long. The splinter was removed and the paw was nursed back to life. The other bears helped her to heal and when she was ready, ran and tumbled with her as bear friends are wont to do. And sometimes, in the middle of romping with her friends in the woods, she would pause for a moment and look down at her paw. The pad was still a little bit thicker there than it was in other places. And now there was a small scar from the removal of the splinter. But instead of pain, she knew life and joy. And she vowed to herself to never again let her hurts go unhealed. The other bears would see her looking at her paw in wonder and in peace. And they too discovered that they never wished to let hurts go unhealed either. When we forgive, when we release our old hurts, we tell a new story, one in which we choose the ending, not our perpetrators of hurt. We can't tell the story for those who have hurt us, and we can't change their part in the story, but we can change the roles that we have played. In forgiving the other, we cannot keep them from trying to harm us again but we no longer have to live as their victim or experience life from that place of being a victim. The feelings we have named may never truly go away. We may have to forgive ourselves and release our hurts over and again and again. But each time we connect to the common humanity we share and we find empathy for the other, and release the shackles of their harm done to us. We grow deeper into the place of compassion and healing. So often we believe that we can hurt another by holding on to our hate, or that in some way holding on to that hate can heal us. But really, the only person we continue to harm is ourselves. Those grudges and anger and hate that we hold toward another 
righteous as we may think they are, only hurt us and draw us into darkness. Sometimes, oftentimes, the other person doesn't even know we are angry at them or that they have hurt us. They certainly don't know about or even feel the grudge we have nursed against them, even and especially if it has lasted for years. The only thing that heals our pain is forgiveness. On page 140 of the Book of Forgiving, the tutus offer this reflection and prayer. I can draw you as a cipher. So unlike me, I make, can make you less than human. I can erase your story. Then I will have no work to do and nothing to forgive. But there is this pile of pain waiting for me and I cannot remove it without facing your story. There is a pile of pain waiting for me, and to clear it away, I must admit our common humanity. I am not perfect. You are not perfect. No one I know is perfect except Jesus, and he is God. We walk this path together, and at times we will hurt one another. In the Liturgy for Marriage in the Episcopal Church, we offer prayers for the newly wed couple. One of those prayers asks God to give them, the couple, grace when they hurt each other. Not if they hurt each other, but when they hurt each other. The Church knows we are not perfect. And that even in marriage, even with the one person you choose to love all the days of your life and make this deep abiding commitment to out of that love, even that person you will hurt at some point, hopefully not intentionally, but maybe so out of frustration or anger or just because you are having a bad day. So on your wedding day, if the church knows you are imperfect and will hurt the one that you love the most in this life, maybe we might understand that others will hurt us too. And maybe, just maybe, we might realize we are a lot more alike than we care to admit. Next week, we will talk about renewing or releasing the relationship, the final step on the fourfold path to healing. If you would like to join us for a deeper dive in today's topic, we invite you to Zoom with us or join us on Facebook Live at 12 noon on Wednesday at the Episcopal Church of the Ascension, our Facebook page. Until then, may Almighty God have mercy on you. Forgive you all your sins through our Lord Jesus Christ. Strengthen you in all goodness. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep you in eternal life. Amen.